When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app. My new book, Medgar and Murley, The Love Story That Awakened America, is coming out in just two and a half weeks. I am so excited to share this book with you, and I'm looking forward to seeing all you readers as we take the show on the road. Tickets are on sale now, so be sure to grab yours before they're all gone. I'll be in Philadelphia on Wednesday, February 7th at the First United Methodist Church of Germantown at 7 p.m., then in Menlo Park, California at Kepler's Books on Friday, February 16th, at 7 p.m. And on Saturday, March 2nd, I'll be in one of my favorite cities, New Orleans, at Baldwin & Company at 4 p.m. You can go to msnbc.com slash Medgar and Murley to purchase tickets and to see the full tour schedule. Tonight on The Readout. You can be the most worthless Republican in America but if you kiss the ring, he'll say, you're wonderful. You can be the strongest, most dynamic, uh, successful Republican and conservative in America. But if you don't kiss that ring, then he'll try to trash you. Barely a week later, DeSantis kissed that ring, endorsing Trump and putting an end to one of the biggest campaign failures in political history, leaving behind a trail of destructive policies in Florida that he and his obedient Republican legislature shoved down the throats of Floridians, all to advance his personal political ambitions. Meanwhile, Trump is, predictably, birthering Nikki Haley, who is now the only non-insurrectionist left in the Republican race. Plus, how the abortion issue continues to haunt Republicans on this, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision enshrining women's bodily autonomy that was killed by Republicans. But we begin tonight with karma. You reap what you sow, what goes around comes around, all that good stuff. Karma can be cruel, ironic, but it is always right on time. And at the center of the morality play about political karma is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or is it DeSantis? I don't think we ever found out. Whatever the pronunciation of a name few in history will remember. The tale ended for Ron just where it started, on Elon Twitter, where back in May, DeSantis kicked off his long-anticipated presidential campaign during a disastrous launch event on Twitter spaces, only to return to the platform, now rebranded as X, where he misquoted former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill as he dropped out of the race. The Republican Party is a clown show, after all, starring Ron DeSantis as its most classless clown. Just one devoid of charisma or humor. A sad, weird clown who has the personality of a wet paper bag. Whoever heard of a clown with such a tortured smile? And as your president, I will not let you down. God bless you. Governor DeSantis, thank you. But Ron was a clown nonetheless, whose lore includes the bizarre habit of eating chocolate pudding with three of his fingers. Not one finger, but three of them. You know, three of them, like kind of like a scoop. But a clown who is devoid of jokes is like a presidential candidate without integrity. You're going to do your best to hide those deficiencies from the American public, but you're probably going to just call attention to them. Enter 
Bootgate. In trying to hide how he fell short on protecting his state citizens from the aftermath of a hurricane, which is a Florida governor's main job, DeSantis stepped out in pristine white boots, shoe lifts and heels, trying to be tall as nearly every insurer fled his state. And when he was asked about his shoe lifts on the campaign trail, he managed to make it cringe. They want to talk about how tall you are. Sir, t- respond, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, look, Eric, this, uh, this is no time for foot fetishes. We've got serious problems as a country. But what Ron DeSantis was so desperately trying to conceal had nothing to do with his height and everything to do with his obsession with power. In fact, he torched his entire state for one purpose, to become the Republican nominee for president. A lot of people told him, it's too early, not your turn. But he didn't listen. He pitched himself as Diet Trump, with all the cruelty but none of the calories. But instead, he became extra sugar Trump, even meaner, even crueler, just without the charisma. And something nobody even asked for. He ravaged his entire state into a swamp of mean for the purpose of becoming president, pushing a legislative agenda heavy on the sadism. He signed the Don't Say Gay law, stoking harassment of drag shows and LGBTQ people. He pushed through anti-woke legislation that deemed black history of no educational value and sold slavery as job skills training, making a mockery of Florida education and making Florida the leader in book bans. He chased teachers out of the classroom and screamed at teenage students on television for wearing masks to protect their health. He went to war with Disney and sued the cruise industry for trying to keep COVID off their ships. He hired a ridiculous Surgeon General who questioned the safety of masks and vaccines, even as tens of thousands of elderly Floridians died. DeSantis is also behind a violent, inhumane immigration bill, imposing penalties and restrictions on undocumented immigrants in Florida, a bill so morally disastrous that a leading Miami archbishop said it would criminalize empathy. It's also been horrible for the economy, chasing thousands of Latino workers out of the state, causing them to literally flee and leaving the construction and agricultural industries hanging. He also splurged taxpayer money to ship brown people from Texas, a state that he has no business governing, to Martha's Vineyard like cargo. He signed a six-week abortion ban in the middle of the night because, shh, maybe the women won't notice. He is, after all, much more than a clown but rather the avatar of white Christian nationalism and grievance politics. And he thought that he could win the White House by owning the libs. Turn out it was the world's biggest self-own. He has now dropped out of the presidential race, only to kiss Trump's ring days after he lamented all the other Republicans doing exactly that. But what do you expect from baby MAGA? A Florida man who came up on an, in, on an ad showing his baby in a MAGA onesie and his other child building a MAGA wall with toy blocks, only to wind up deflating on the campaign trail and ending up exactly where he started, swathed in a MAGA onesie of his own, groveling for Trump. Joining me now is Brandon Wolf, National Press Secretary for the Human Rights Campaign and a 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting survivor, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark. Thank you both for being here, Brandon. I owe it to you, since you are uh, a leader of an organization that actually declared Florida unsafe for LGBTQ people to travel. And as somebody who's had to live as a person of color and as a gay man in the state of Florida under Ron DeSantis, I owe it to you to give you the first word on his political demise. Well, thank you for having me, Joy. If you see a grin on my face today, I am sorry. 
I can't help it. Nothing goes better with my happy hour drink than the implosion of Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign. Uh, and as human rights campaign president Kelly Robinson likes to say around the office, I think we might just be in the find out era of politics. And we both saw Ron DeSantis found out. He found out that the kitten heels, the pudding fingers, the inability to smile like a human being for more than 10 seconds, that just won't cut it under the brightest lights in this country. And quite frankly, America found out what Floridians have known for a very long time, that Ron DeSantis is a cruel, craven political operative who not only failed his own state, but would be a disaster for this country. The more that America got a look at Ron DeSantis, the more they saw books being banned, the more they saw curriculum being censored, the more they saw businesses being punished for speaking out, the more they saw politicians being placed in between patients and their doctors. The American people saw a man who drove good people, some of whom were my good friends, out of his state in search of basic civil liberties because he was so desperate to be president. Ron DeSantis made his entire political personality about some soulless anti-LGBTQ plus cruelty crusade, and not a single person was buying it. So he lost in perfectly humiliating fashion. Yes, this grin is going to stay on for a while, but the damage that he has done in Florida will outlast the blip he is on the political radar. And I know that Floridians are going to be fighting for a long time to uproot his cancer. Indeed. Well said. But I, I, you know, I want to let you, Charlie Sykes, listen to you. You wrote a column called Ron DeSantis's biggest 2024 miscalculation. I'll read you to you. This was DeSantis's most fundamental miscalculation. Rather than go for soft Trumpers or Republicans who are skeptical of the former president, DeSantis went hard for hard for the hardcore base. That meant continually moving to the right, embracing a reactionary pugilism and draconian reactionary policies that he thought would wean MAGA loyalists from their orange messiah. But the MAGA faithful don't care about the policies or the legislation they wanted to show. Please say more. Well, you know, again, it was Joe Scarborough said this morning, you know, if you can go see Fat Elvis, why would you go to uh, Vegas to see a, a an Elvis imitator? I mean, he was the real thing. You know, it was an indication that Ron DeSantis was not a man of real political genius, that he went to war with Disney, the state's biggest employer. He went to war with Mickey Mouse. And yet, when he ran against Donald Trump, he could not figure out a way to run against a man who had more than 90 uh, felony indictments, who had been found liable for raping a woman, who had been twice impeached, disgraced, and tried to overturn the government. He couldn't figure out, what can I say about him? How can I run against him? So he chose all of these other targets. He also made the calculation that somehow, if, if he made all the right enemies, if he checked all the right boxes, that would be enough. But the reality was, the Republicans had the real thing. They didn't need somebody who was stiff and boring and fake when they had the the, the orange Elvis out there. And so, you know, again, there was part of of Ron DeSantis that is probably still shocked by the fact that 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 Republicans still embrace Donald Trump. I think that Ron DeSantis believed that if he was cruel enough, moved hard enough to the right, that something would happen to move Republicans away from Donald Trump. That if he was indicted, if he was charged, that somehow that would break his hold on the party. And it just never happened. So everything that he did basically just blew up in his face. Yeah, and, and by the way, um, I mean, he started, he, he ended the way Again, as, as you pointed out, he actually believed that Twitter was real life. <laughs> a fundamental mistake, as, as fundamental as you can get. 
Absolutely. Yeah. For a brief time, I worked for a company called Beverage Marketing uh, and as an analyst. And look up the story of New Coke and see how that went. People just wanted the regular <laughs> Coke. They, they didn't yeah. want New Coke. Let yeah. me let me play you what he thinks went wrong. This is Ron DeSantis trying to explain what went wrong. Here he is. I would say if, if I could have one thing change, I wish Trump hadn't been indicted on any of this stuff. I came in uh, not really doing as much media. Um, I should have just been blanketing. I should have gone on all the corporate sh- shows. I should have gone on everything. Brandon, he thinks that the problem is not that he ran a campaign against his own citizens and to try to destroy people in his state. He thinks that's not the problem. The problem is people didn't see enough of him. Your thoughts. Well, listen, you don't have to look much further than his own team that at one point was saying the world needs to see less of Ron DeSantis. <laughs> if he's going to win the presidency of the United States of America, people have to see him less. We've got to hide him. We've got to keep him off the TV. Um, and, and the truth is that, you know, you talked about the damage that he's done in Florida and the way that that turned people off. There's a whole collection of people like Ron DeSantis right now, right wing politicians around the country who are desperate to climb those rungs of power that have been sold uh, sold a false bill of goods. They were told by these think tanks, groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom and the Heritage Foundation, that all they have to do is be cruel enough to LGBTQ plus people. And that will, you know, usher them in as the heir apparent to the Trump uh, dynasty. And, And they were wrong over and over again. The American people have sent a very clear message that we actually really value freedom. We see it as an unconditional value worth defending, not some campaign slogan that you can put on a personality-less bumper and sell to us uh, that will buy. Uh, You know, the the American people have said, we believe people deserve the freedom to read, the freedom to learn, the freedom to go to the doctor, to love, to live, without having to call our local congressperson first. And we know that because in elections in, you know, just the last year, Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, anti-LGBTQ politicians are losing. In poll after poll, Americans say, please stop focusing on culture wars and solve real problems. So, you know, Ron DeSantis was Ron DeSantis's biggest problem and the damage he's done in Florida turned off the entire nation. Let me play, this is probably the last time we're going to be able to play this montage. So let's play a few lowlights of cringy Ron. <laughs> I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if uh, if and when that changes. Oh, what is that? An icy? Yeah, that's probably a lot of sugar, huh? <laughs> well, we're uh, I'm here. I don't know the other one. Okay, all right, all right, it's good, it's good. All right, we'll say hi to everybody. The politics has gotten crazy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, don't back down. We won't. Ron, we hardly knew you, and we're not sorry about that. Thank you very much to Brandon Wolf. Uh, Charlie Sykes is sticking around because up next on the readout. And then there were two. DeSantis' departure sets up a head-to-head primary fight between Nikki Haley and the cult of Trump. How she measures up against Trump and Biden when the readout continues. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. 
That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Okay, friends, today was the day I was supposed to be telling you about Donald Trump testifying in E. Jean Carroll's second defamation trial against him and how he ranted and raved and probably defamed her again. But a COVID exposure suspended court proceedings, so the hearing never happened. Instead, Trump spent the day consolidating Republican support in New Hampshire ahead of its presidential primary tomorrow. The party will get its second dose of karmic retribution now that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is out. The most anti-woman, anti-immigrant party in America, the party that refuses to let President Biden help curb what they insist is an invasion at the border that wants to turn every woman in America into a forced birth handmaiden, that party, now has a two-person race for the presidential nomination. Donald Trump, the adjudicated sexual abuser with two dozen other accusers and three baby mamas, versus a brown woman who was the daughter of Southeast Asian immigrants, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Haley's last woman standing status arrives as the men formerly challenging Trump have mostly capitulated to their dear leader. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott endorsed Trump in the most humiliating way possible, misquoting civil rights icon Fannie Lou Hamer. We need a president who will restore law and order. We need Donald Trump. We need a president who understands the American people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so sorry, ancestors. Scott says that he is not ruling out serving as Trump's vice president, despite the fact that, as SNL pointed out this weekend, Trump tried to let his last vice president be hung. Senator Scott seems to be making his best case, however. After complaining during his short-lived presidential bid that the bachelor status that he had, that his bachelor status was used against him to make donors nervous, he's fixed that by ostentatiously announcing his engagement over the weekend. Not to be outdone in the pander game is another South Carolina Republican, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, also endorsed Donald Trump. He backed her primary opponent in 2022, but as we know, every Republican eventually bends the knee. Trump is holding a rally right now, or only a rally tonight, with several of his other former challengers who've all bent the knee. And with Haley now his only Republican rival, kind of, he's stepping up his birther attacks on her. But Tim Scott refuses to denounce the birther attacks on the woman who appointed him to the Senate. Nor will North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, remember him? He says Trump's racist attacks are just politics. It's hard to feel a ton of sympathy for the former governor of South Carolina as she debases herself, pandering to MAGA voters by claiming that America was never a racist country. But you can maybe, maybe give her credit for one thing. After this bizarre display from Trump this weekend. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people, soldiers, National Guard, whatever they want. They turned it down. They don't want to talk about that. Presumably, he meant former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Well, here's what Haley had to say about this latest sign that something might not be right with Trump's cognitive acuity. If you look recently, there have been multiple things. I mean, he claimed that Joe Biden was going to get us into World War II. 
I'm assuming he meant World War III. He said that he ran against President Obama. He never ran against President Obama. He says that I'm the one that kept security from from the Capitol on January 6th. I was nowhere near the Capitol on January 6th. I don't know if he was confused. I don't know what happened, but it should be enough to send us a warning sign. <laughs> Back with me, Charlie Sykes. Back with me is Charlie Sykes. And joining me, Aaron Abe, editor at large of the 19th and an MSAB, MSNBC contributor. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> your thoughts <laughs> on any of it? I mean, first of all, maybe this is a case for why we need to be teaching the country's history, because uh, the former president seems to be rewriting it, mm-hmm. uh, at the very least, if, if it's not just kind of a memory problem. But yeah, I mean, it is the South Carolina of it all. Even as we look forward to New Hampshire tomorrow, you have Tim Scott backing Nikki Haley, I mean, backing uh, President Trump. Uh, and not backing the person that that made him a senator, uh, you know, without even giving her so much as a heads up that he was going to do that. But of yeah. course, Nikki Haley is not the person that this, you know, the people in this party are afraid of. It, yeah. It's President Trump. And then you have Nancy Mace, who Donald Trump, you know, you know, endorsed her opponent, and and here and Nikki Haley endorsed her, and yet here now we have her also backing President Trump. And all of this, of course, against the backdrop, as you said, uh, in the lead up to this conversation, uh, you know, he gets a break from the courthouse where, mm-hmm. you know, he continues to denounce E. Jean Carroll, uh, who he has been found civilly liable for mm-hmm. sexually assaulting. Uh, and, and, and all of this really just, uh, is, is a reminder that, that we know who the former president is. We know who Nikki Haley Clearly. is. Uh, who are the voters? Right. And, and, and what are the voters going to say? And, and what does what they have to say, say about where we are as a country, that, that we are OK uh, with uh, somebody who has these accusation, accusations standing over them, is saying these things about uh, Nikki Haley that are racist, uh, that are misogynist. And this is not apparently disqualifying at, at all uh, for, for voters uh, as he makes uh, apparently his inevitable march to the GOP nomination. Well, not only uh, unacceptable for voters, Charlie, unacceptable, n- not unacceptable for people who want to be on his ticket. It's clear that everyone's auditioning. OK, Tim Scott, the, the wedding, right. you know, the, the wedding, that's an audition. You know, they're just all auditioning. Let me let you listen to Elise Stefanik's audition, because her audition was one of the most embarrassing. She is now debasing herself just as a woman, as an intelligent Harvard graduate person, by making this defense of Donald Trump's E. Jean Carroll problem. These are witch hunts against President Trump, whether it's the bogus, whether it's the bogus case from Tish James, who is a radical, who is a radical prosecutor. They are all witch hunts against President Trump. No, of course not. They're all witch hunts. They are all witch hunts against President Trump. That isn't a mix-up. The reality is Nikki Haley. She wasn't speaker. Nikki Haley is relying on Democrats, just like Nancy Pelosi, uh, to try to have a desperate showing in New York, in New Hampshire. Sure. But he was so talking President about January Trump, 6th. President Trump has not lost a step. He is a stronger candidate, stronger than he is today, than he was in 2016, and he was in 2020. Compare that to Joe Biden's weakness. How's she doing on her audition, Charlie? Oh, she is so, so thirsty, isn't she? I mean, at least this is really amazing. She is the woman that Republicans um, replaced Liz Cheney with. Keep this in mind. If you want the trajectory of the Republican Party, they looked at Liz Cheney and they said, no, we'd rather have her. Um, (laughs) What she is doing is clearly um, auditioning aggressively for this by 
proving to Donald Trump that she's not just loyal, but that she will mimic everything he says. She will defend anything, no matter how indefensible. I mean, the other day she was defending um, his use of the term hostages to describe the January 6th rioters who beat up police officers. Um, she defended his his use of the phrase poisoning the blood in reference to immigrants. She's made it clear to Donald Trump. I will be your doppelganger. I will be your mini me. Um, it is remarkable because she is this Harvard educated, um, you know, one time normie Republican who has decided um, who has, I mean, embraced her inner opportunism so aggressively. And this is what Donald Trump wants. I mean, Donald Trump, when he's looking for a vice president, what does he want? He wants somebody who will not exercise any independence or be unpredictable, who won't do what Mike Pence did. He wants somebody who will be absolutely reliable, who is not burdened by conscience or principle. And Elise Stefanik is basically saying, me, that's me. Yeah, I'm prepared to do anything. Pick me. And not, and she's not the only one doing it. I mean, Tim Scott is doing the same thing. I mean, I just want to read you Fannie Lou Hamer's quote. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Hamer delivered the speech in which that line was used with Malcolm X at the Williams Institutional CME Church in Harlem, New York in 1964. And you can always hear the long sob story. You know it takes time. For 300 years, we've given them time. And I've been tired so long. Now I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we want to change. That was delivered on behalf of black people who were thirsty and hungry for just basic citizenship, first class citizenship. Tim Scott, to debase himself for Trump, delivers it for Trump. So he's auditioning, too. And even the wedding announcement, all of it. Sure. And in the week that we are you know, celebrating the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., right? Uh, I'm sick and tired of, of people, you know, misquoting civil rights Hello. icons for, you know, the purposes of, of, of you know, folks who, who are not espousing the, you know, the policies and the, and the values of, you know, that those icons had. Certainly, uh, I wonder what a Fannie Lou Hamer would have to say about, you know, a President Trump, uh, you know, or or even a, a you know, uh, former President Trump's campaign in this moment. I, I suspect that she would be sick and tired of a lot of what she is <laughs> seeing uh, in terms of the threat to our democracy in this country right now. And to look at the sort of endorsements Nikki Haley is still getting, despite the fact that she doesn't seem to be the strongest ideologically, she doesn't seem to stand by her principles or even her beliefs very strongly. Here's Judge Judy endorsing her. I'm not a Trump basher, but chaos follows him. And right now he's embroiled in legal, financial, personal, civil criminal actions, you need someone who is totally focused on being president of the United States. I certainly don't think that she's a bully. I certainly don't think that chaos follows her. I certainly don't think that she's unfocused because of everything else that's going on in her life. And I know that she is cognitively stable. <laughs> nice little dig there at the end. That in a normal world, Charlie would be a rational argument for choosing Nikki Haley over Donald Trump. But it ain't going to work this time, is it? No, we're, we're way past that. And also that formulation that chaos follows him. I mean, come on. Um, he <laughs> is the agent of chaos. It yeah. didn't just happen to him. It is not, it is not the passive voice. Uh, no, because what you're seeing in the Republican Party is this herd mentality, this stampede of the lemmings um, that is actually even worse than what happened back in, in 2016. But I just want to just, you know, go back to your point about the birtherism. You know, this is the sort of the the Ur conspiracy theory of Donald Trump. This is how he launched himself by spreading the racist uh, birther uh, uh, theory about Barack Obama. It was a real black mark on the Republican Party. Now he's bringing it back mm -hmm. against Nikki Haley.
and people don't even blink. Right. It's not even a factor. It's not even the smallest speed bump. And to watch Tim Scott, who obviously knows her, who was appointed at the center by to the Senate by her, who is also a man of color. And he basically is not willing to push back in the slightest way. This is an indication of just how deeply corrupt yeah. this party has been in, in, in its in its zeal to follow and protect Donald Trump. Yeah. And very quickly, two two second answer, Aaron Haynes, which is the biggest detriment to Nikki Haley? She's not going to get the nomination. Which is the bigger detriment, her being a brown person or her being a woman? Yes. Well done. Charlie Sykes and Aaron Haynes. <laughs> thank you. Well done. Uh, thank you. Still ahead. Vice President Harris kicks off a reproductive rights tour on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade as voters get ready to make their voices heard. We'll be right back. It's Monday, everyone. We're happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Hi everyone, it's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. For 54 years, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, and I did it, and I'm proud to have done it. I'm the one that got rid of Roe v. Wade, and everybody said that was an impossible thing to do. What I did by killing Roe v. Wade, which everyone said was impossible, so it's a very powerful thing that I was able to get. I'm very proud of it. Just in case anyone has forgotten, the end of abortion access didn't happen by accident. Donald Trump proudly appointed the conservative majority that fulfilled the Christian right's 50-year dream of ending that constitutional right. Today, on the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, allow me to scare because I care. If you think it can't get any worse, you are wrong. In a second Trump term, Republicans plan to use the late 19th century Comstock Act, a law regulating interstate commerce, to effectively ban abortion nationwide by prohibiting the shipment across state lines of not just abortion drugs, but any tools doctors could use to induce an abortion. In places like California, Ohio, and Kansas, where voters overwhelmingly support reproductive rights and protected it in their states, abortion will become effectively inaccessible. These anti-abortion extremists won't even need Congress to end access to abortion. They also plan to use ways government agencies could reduce the procedure. That's the 2024 national plan. In the meantime, Republican-controlled states are looking for new ways to punish women and anyone who helps them. In Missouri, they want to make it illegal for employers to assist their employees in getting abortions out of state. At one point last year, a group of South Carolina Republicans were pushing for a bill allowing the death penalty for abortion. Last Friday, Wisconsin Republicans submitted a proposal to get voters to back a 14-week abortion ban further restricting abortion where it's already legal up to 20 weeks. 
Vice President Kamala Harris was in Wisconsin today to launch a nationwide tour focused on reproductive freedom. And tomorrow, the president, first lady, vice president and second gentleman will headline their first joint campaign rally of the cycle in northern Virginia, a state that just handed control of the state's legislature to Democrats after their governor, Glenn Youngkin, promised to restrict abortion access in the state. Joining me now is Minnie Tamaraju, president and CEO of Reproductive Freedom for All, the organization formerly known as NARAL, Pro-Choice America. Minnie, it's always good to see you. I just want to put up some headlines about the state, the reality in pro post-Dobbs America after Roe has fallen. A 10-year-old was denied an abortion in Ohio because she was more than six weeks pregnant. Oh, an Oklahoma woman was told to wait until she's crashing for abortion care. A Texas woman almost died from sepsis because she was denied an abortion after premature dilation. A Texas woman with hypertension, diabetes, a history of pulmonary edema, severe obesity, was never told that a therapeutic termination could have saved her life. She died. Your thoughts on how much worse it could get? You're spot on uh, about needing to scare folks a little bit because, frankly, people don't understand how much worse it can get. It starts with the proposed national abortion ban, which, by the way, I think it's important to note, Nikki Haley fully supports. She said it she on does. Sunday on Face the Nation on CBS that she would support a national abortion ban. I got to keep repeating that mm -hmm. because she's to herself as some sort of moderate. So even the so-called, quote unquote, moderate, compassionate Republicans, not just Donald Trump, fully embrace an all-out assault on reproductive rights, starting with the national abortion ban, but also, as you said, the Comstock uh, plan is dev could be devastating. And then you look at the case, the Miffy-Priston case that's uh, going to the Supreme Court. We've said it before, it's a backdoor national abortion ban. It's a way to get at FDA authority over abortion, even in states that have protected access. So, Absolutely, it can get worse. Uh, and we've got to really raise the alarm. And that's what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing this week. Right. I mean, and we know the administration has put in some national sort of rules that would make it easier to access uh, birth control, because understand that the, the far Christian right also wants birth control to be illegal. They want that gone, too. So they're trying to do some things. But if it's if the president switches, what people need to really focus on and understand is that all of those executive orders and things that the president can do at the executive level, that goes to a Trump. And if Trump were to win, that would mean he probably gets the Senate in the House, too. It's an abortion ban, people. You're not voting to, for a friend that's going to move in with you. You're voting for harm reduction. You're not voting for your favorite person, your favorite human. They're going to live with you. You're voting for whoever's going to control whether you have access to your body. I want to let you go through. Let's look at these states where it's already banned, abortion or limited, and just put the map up. I mean, it's already so broadly being—the the right is already being so broadly taken away, Minnie, that I wonder if— the fight on the other side has been robust enough at the state level. We're seeing even Florida considering uh, having a fight to get it into the Constitution. Is that what is going to need to happen? Every state um, put abortion uh, care access into the Constitution. You know, it's a great strategy and it's been a winning one for our side, but it's not possible in every state. And that's the pragmatic reason why we still need to fight not only to reelect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but to deliver a pro-reproductive freedom majority in Congress so we can pass a federal bill, a federal law that would cover the whole country. My home state in Texas, for example, you can't put a ballot initiative on the ballot because it goes to the legislature and there's a supermajority of extremist Republicans in the state. And that's just one of the many states that's in a lot of trouble right now. So we can't abandon those 21 states. We have to keep fighting at every level. That's the municipal level, the state level, and the federal level. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention... 
about Donald Trump. Um, it's not just about reproductive rights. It's also about democracy. So this morning I was in New Hampshire with our friends at End Citizens United and the Democratic delegation talking about the intersection, right? And if we reelect Donald Trump, it's also going to have disastrous consequences on our democracy and our reproductive freedoms are intertwined with our yeah. democratic freedom. And, and people should also understand that if he gets back in, there's a likelihood, high likelihood that the older right-wing Supreme Court justices like Clarence Thomas and Aaliyah will retire so that Donald Trump could put two more 30-year-old or 40-year-old versions of them on the court. That would be the end of not just reproductive rights, but your rights, period. You know, this administration and Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats have worked overtime to make a record number of progressives to the judiciary. But we cannot afford another term where Donald Trump is president for so many reasons. But the courts are a really clear one, to your point, not just the Supreme Court, but all those appellate courts, right? All those lower courts. Matthew Kaczmarek, who's the person who's presiding over these disastrous cases, the Miffy Pristone case, the medication abortion case, was the Trump nominee. Yes. Can you imagine if we had ten more Matthew Kaczmarek's? We could not survive it. Absolutely. It, you, uh, you know, we vote for harm reduction. It's very rare that you get to like who you elect. You don't always get the joy of a Barack Obama where it's like fun and wonderful and you feel so good. You really vote for harm reduction, y'all. Think about that. You vote for harm reduction. That's what you vote for president for, a person in charge of the FBI, who you want to be in charge of the FBI. Minnie Timuraju, thank you very much. Coming up, Netanyahu firmly rebuffs President Biden's push for a two-state solution as the death toll in Gaza reaches a staggering 25,000 killed. More next. The Israel-Hamas war has reached another tragic milestone, with at least 25,000 dead in Gaza, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health in Gaza. The utter destruction continues, with at least 50 dead today and more than 100 injured in a strike on Khan Yunus, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. The living conditions in Gaza continue to deteriorate, with millions at risk of famine. There are still about 130 hostages likely facing these conditions as well, and their family members are losing patience. Protesting outside the home of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and dramatically interrupting a meeting in the Israeli parliament earlier today. Netanyahu met with families today, telling them there was, quote, no real proposal from Hamas for a deal. According to an Israeli government official, Israel has proposed a two-month pause in fighting in exchange for all of the remaining hostages, first reported by Axios. But Hamas has said it won't release hostages without a permanent ceasefire, leaving Hamas in power in Gaza. This comes as Netanyahu is facing increasing criticism for defying the Biden administration and openly rejecting the possibility of a two-state solution. While it's a diplomatic slap in the face to Israel's best friend on the world stage, President Biden, it's also not surprising. Here was Netanyahu way back in 1978, claiming that Palestinians did not need a separate state because they were already a part of the Arab nation. There is no right to establish a second one on my doorstep, which will threaten my existence. There is no right whatsoever. Since then, he's flip-flopped just a little bit, backing a demilitarized conditional Palestinian state in 2009 under pressure from newly elected President Barack Obama. 
But in a last-ditch attempt one night before his 2015 election, he made it clear that there would be no state of Palestine if he was elected. Joining me now is Ben Rhodes, former deputy national security advisor and MSNBC political contributor. I want to start at that last point, Ben, because I was I've been surprised by the surprise. People have been acting shocked that Bibi Netanyahu opposes the Palestinian state. Like ever since I've noticed him on the world stage, that's been his position. Is the Biden administration truly in some sort of false belief that he was going to go for that? I don't see how anybody can be surprised who's been awake for the last <laughs> decade or two, Joy. I or mean, three. Really, this, this is absolutely absurd that people act like this is some kind of new surprise that Netanyahu sprung on this. The reality is the only time that he ever came out for any kind of Palestinian state was under pressure from Barack Obama in 2009. Then every turn, when there was a peace negotiation during the Obama years, he always stymied it. He was always unwilling to go take any risk in pursuit of a Palestinian state because he didn't want one. And then even before the end of the Obama administration in 2015, as you point out, he campaigned for re-election on the basis that he was the one who would prevent a Palestinian state. So it's not just he opposes the creation. He's actively worked to prevent it, to expand Israeli settlements. That position is only hardened since the Obama administration. Just a couple of weeks before October 7th, he appeared at the United Nations and held up a map that did not have any West Bank or Gaza. It was just a greater Israel. That's the ideology, the project of this government. That, yeah. is, that is what they believe in. That's who they are. They keep telling us who they are and showing us who they are in, in terms of their agenda. Uh, and then we continue to act surprised when they deny us the comfort of a talking point about a Palestinian state. That will never happen with this prime minister and this Israeli government. And the Biden administration is going to have to reckon with that. And you can't just talk about it. Uh, what are you actually going to do about it? Yeah. And the awkwardness of watching uh, Kurt, John Kirby awkwardly address a press conference in which he can't seem to come to grips with Bibi Netanyahu literally saying, we will control this land from the river to the sea. And him being asked by a reporter, well, do you have a problem with this from the river to the sea slogan when he's saying it? And you get a lot of like, hamana, 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 from the river to the sea is literally in the Likud party, Benjamin Netanyahu's parties. It's in their charter. And look, the basic point has to be that the position of the United States government is that there should be a two-state solution, unless that's changed, and it has not changed. And so therefore, obviously, the position of Hamas is completely and utterly unacceptable because they don't accept Israel's right to exist. Um, the Palestinian Authority does and has been willing to negotiate on the basis of a two-state solution. Uh, but it's just the reality that this extreme right-wing coalition does not believe in a Palestinian state. Right. And so therefore, the gap between the Biden administration and this Israeli government, it only grows as the time horizon extends. There's a gap right now about the military operation and the horrific humanitarian catastrophe it's causing. The fact that you cannot get hostages rescued in the midst of that kind of military operation, it's only come when there's been a pause in a negotiation. That's right. Then the gap expands when you talk about what happens in Gaza when the fighting ends hopefully sooner rather than later. And there's a difference of opinion over who should administer Gaza. The Biden administration wants it to be some form of Palestinian administration, obviously not Hamas. But Netanyahu has said that there'll have to be de facto Israeli control over the Gaza Strip for the foreseeable future. And then the gap only grows when it comes to the basic question of whether there can be such a thing as a Palestinian state. The problem, Joy, is you can't work backwards if you don't agree on the outcome. Yeah. We don't agree on where we're going how can we set a direction that we're moving in? And Netanyahu, not only has he been willing to buck Biden, not, I lived with eight years of him literally taking on Barack Obama. I'm sure that if he looks forward in the American political calendar, his preferred candidate in the American election is not 
Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, so I, I just have to be clear and live in that reality. And the, the other thing is that he's brazenly become, first of all, he's a, a secular person that has suddenly started talking in biblical terms. That video I showed, he was 28 years old. He's now in his 70s. Suddenly he's speaking about the Bible. That's not a thing he used to do. He's, he's with these far right religious extremists who want settlements back in Gaza. Talk about the fact that we're also seeing things like blowing up a university in the, in the Gaza Strip, stuff you can't justify as part of a war. And the Biden administration really hasn't said much about that either. And I've, obviously, they've got this case in the U.N. that they're fighting on the issue of genocide. Yeah, look, the, the reality is, I mean, look, Trump wasn't uh, particularly religious either. <laughs> it didn't stop him from allying with the kind of people who, in your previous segment, obviously wanted to overturn Roe v. Wade. The reality is that Netanyahu made a deal to get back into the prime ministership. He is facing prosecution yes. under corruption charges. And so he made a deal with some extreme right-wing figures. Yep. I mean, these are literally people like Ben Gavir, the national security minister, who in the past were not allowed to be in organized Israeli <laughs> politics because— of not just their uh, role in the settlement movement, they're but just, literally their support extreme. for violence and terrorism, right? Yeah. And, and these are that say the quiet part out loud. That's right. They talk about wanting to displace all Palestinians out of Hamas. Yeah. Those are the people that Netanyahu are most concerned about. Out of God. Not Joe Biden. Yeah. Because those people are protecting him from criminal prosecution and from keeping him in power. going to prison. <laughs> And we are out of time, but he's Donald Trump, y'all. He's Donald Trump. That, that's, who, that's, who, he, that's who we're dealing with, Donald Trump. Uh, ben Rhodes, thank you very much. We'll be right back. My new book, Medgar and Murley, The Love Story That Awakened America, is coming out in just two weeks. And you know what that means, book tour. Tickets are available now for our upcoming stops, so be sure to grab yours before they're all gone. I will be in Philly February 7th at Uncle Bobby's at the First United Methodist Church of Germantown at 7 p.m. Then in Menlo Park, California at Kepler's Books on Friday, February 16th at 7 p.m. And on Saturday, March 2nd, I'll be in one of my favorite cities, New Orleans, at Baldwin and Company at 4 p.m. And for those of you in St. Louis, Lewis, who were not able to get a ticket to the sold-out event on February 20th. Stay tuned. More tickets may be available very soon. You can go to msnbc.com slash Medgar and Murley to get tickets and for the full tour schedule or scan that cute little QR code on your screen now to pre-order the book. Happy birthday, downtown Sterling Brown. And that's tonight's readout. Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.